Sonic State. So, uh, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 113. Um, I was thinking about it, number 13 being a, an, an unlucky number, and so far it seems to be because, um, as I say, the live stream seems to be bonking. So it may be up, it may be down. Hopefully, if you're there, you can hang in there and, and listen. So, uh, hello and Happy New Year to you all in the live chat room, if there's anybody left. And also on my live, sort of live in my ears, as it were, um, let's introduce um, all my other guests. So we've got a, a bumper crop this year. Let's start with Dave Robinson from prosoundnewseurope.com. Hello. Good to have you aboard. How's it been going? You've, um, you, you're, you must be kind of busy because it's pre-NAM. You have to work all I've, that stuff in I've advance. I've been a busy boy. Yeah, it was very busy up to Christmas, and obviously with a week to go before the NAM show. But um, I have to say, um, you know, I know we're going to talk a bit about uh, what NAM is going to bring, and it doesn't seem to be quite as... Um, um, Full on. Yeah, as, as normal. And certainly, if that's due to, I hate to mention, you know, the current economic downturn, et cetera, et cetera, but whether there are fewer people releasing things or there are going to be fewer people at the show remains to be seen. I mean, it's the first show of 2009, and I know that lots of people have been to the CES show, and apparently 130,000 people have turned up there, despite the fact that we're all, it's all doom and gloom everywhere. But uh, the NAM show is going to be interesting to see what the attendance is like. Yeah, I think um, the, I think the big news at NAM is going to be how's your company doing, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, time, times however many companies you get to talk to, rather depressingly. Uh, but anyway, um, you can find all stuff to do with ProSound News European issues at prosoundnewseurope.com, where you do a fantastic digital download version. I'm like to say, uh, how's that going? You you well, doing thank loads? You very much. More more and more people are picking up on it, and. Um yeah, we, we're getting... Uh, it, it's not perfect by, by any stretch. I, I know I shouldn't say that. It is perfect. Oh, but it is, but, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we, you know, this is... It is the future, I have to say. And uh, paper products, as they go more and more out of fashion, this is what we're going to see more and more of. But, yeah, we're, we're happy with it. Good. Well, um, may you continue to do so. I do download mine regularly and um, have a look at it. And there should, be, there should be one in the next couple of days, in fact. All right, so yeah, keep an the eye January there. edition will be up there as soon as I can get the headlines together for the uh, for the landing page. So there you go. Uh, see if you can get the word discombobulate in the he- in a I'll headline see somewhere. I, I'll see if I can. <laughs> All right. Well, um, anyway, thank you very much for joining us. And also, let's go. Transatlantic, we'll zip a few thousand miles across the water where we're all going to be next week at Nam, and say hello to Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut. How was you, and how was your holidays? Holidays were fantastic, really relaxing, uh, just lots of good feeling, and uh, it was nice. But uh, it is hardly sunny here today. There is <laughs> <No>. ice <laughs> raining down out of the sky. It's uh, an unbelievable ice storm out there. Wow, it just started snowing here, actually. Yeah, this is, uh, we've had plenty of snow, but this is unusual. This is, you know, trees coated in ice and stuff like that. Your car coated in ice. Isn't there a Sigourney Weaver film based in New England to do with an ice storm? Could be. I think there was. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. It's very, it's very um, disconcerting film as well. Very um, sort of makes you feel slightly uncomfortable. Okay, let's not talk about it then, perhaps. It's got Tobey Maguire in it. It's got, um, um, you know, it's got Spider-Man in it. Ah, well, there you go. Now, that's a bit of a tangential but um, relevant point from us both there. So, anyway, um, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Of course, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And let's see, let's come back back to uh, this side of the Atlantic and say hello to Dave Spears from g4software.com. 
Hello, Gaffer. So, Dave, uh, have a good restive festive. Yeah, but I want to know why there's always at least one lurgy going around at Christmas. Did you get it? Uh, yes. Ah, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I, that, I think maybe why my Christmas was so fun is we didn't get ill. I was really ill beforehand for a couple of weeks, and now I'm just sort of trying to keep myself in a kind of hermetically sealed bubble for Nam. But uh, so you got ill. Oh well, you know it's going to happen. I mean, there's no point in fighting it, really, is there? I felt sorry for my brother. He'd driven all the way from Czech with his family and then spent 10 days watching it go around the entire family, including his kids and himself, and then oh, drove home again. That's horrid. I think I spoke to him about three times, which was, how were you? Oh, oh well. no, that's awful. That is it awful. Happens. Well, I'm sorry for you and your family. That must have been me. But yeah, it does tend to kind of ruin it somewhat. Anyway, I had a really nice time. And it, the weather, was, while cold and crisp, was clear. And it was nice to be outside. So going to the park, it was kind of dry and, and still. So it was lovely. It was proper, you know, winter's day kind of stuff. And a good antidote to sitting in front of the radiators and the telly. <laughs> anyway, Dave Spears, G4Software.com. Um, soon to be exhibiting at the NAM show. Um, I'm something new, I hope. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, not. maybe, maybe not. I can't say anything, can I? No, of course not. Well, we'll save it for later. Anyway, and uh, finally, well, not finally, because we've got to go and find Mark again, but PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. How the devil are you? I'm doing well. How's um, your first I'm, married Christmas? It was It was really good. It was a, a lot of fun. We got to spend time with both sides of the family, and I, too, got the Christmas cold this year, but I slogged through it, and... Uh, we threw a big uh, New Year's Eve party at our at our studio um, while I sat in a corner and sneezed and coughed, and hopefully didn't send too many well wishers away with uh, with that bit of uh, virus. Drink works. Just drink your way through it. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can do, can't it? Anyway, um, another medicinal whiskey. Uh, right, I, I don't know where Mark is. He went. Uh, anyone see him online? No. He disappeared. He must be rebooting. So what we'll have to do then is um, let's get on, shall we? Sure. Uh, first of all, I would like to say um, there has been an announcement that uh, Music Thing, which is a blog spot, it's one of those long-term blogs to do with um, synthesizers and, and electronica curiosity. Uh, Tom Whitwell, who's the guy who's been running it uh, for four years, has decided to knock it on the head. He's now in charge of the Times Online and uh, finds that he hasn't got any time left. So that's a real shame to see it go. But um, good luck to you, and thanks for all the interesting stories that uh, we've probably had as fodder for... Um, the podcasts along the line. So, anyway, just wanted to say that before we started. So, sample. Replay. Is that a real version? Uh, well, that's something that you may um, may indeed question, and uh, this is to do with Replay Heaven, which is a sample recreation service. And I was browsing about there because, for those of you who don't perhaps know what's going on um, with this at the moment, uh, I'll explain. 
when you take a sample and you want to use it in a recording or you want to maybe do to cover for advertising or whatever, you have to pay a license fee to both the artist in terms of the publishing or the publisher and also to the owner of the recording, which is the record company. And Replay Heaven, what they do is they cut out the record company's um, a portion, which I, 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 whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we can um, we can discuss. But so what they do is they recreate the sample for you, so you only end up having to pay the publishing portion. And they've got lots of examples. That, of course, was uh, KC and the Sunshine Pound get down tonight. First bit was the actual sample, and the second bit was the replay. And I have to say that was a particularly good example, particularly the hi hats. I don't know if you heard um, how how close they were there, and it was a very nice recreation. So, uh, Rich, there were a couple of. Um, there was a chic one on there as well. Did you get a chance to hear the Sister Sledge or the Sister Sledge thing? I didn't listen to it. Would you like to hear it? Oh, sure. What, so what do you think? The Sunshine Band one was better than that, but but um, this is like I don't know if it's the morning or what it is, but this just looks like another way for more people not to make money. <laughs> I know what you're saying, but the artist the artist presumably makes money uh, only on only in terms of writing or publishing, not in terms of mechanical license of the original recording, which is what they're going around to begin with. Yeah. Now, whether those whether those licenses are negotiated fairly and whether those contracts are reasonable or not, I don't know. But I do know that this ultimately ends up working against income for people who uh, have legacy product that's desirable. But doesn't it provide the work for musicians? Um, it does. It does. It does. Get the work. Yeah, it does. But it's like a one-off job, isn't it? Except, except that there's some guy in a room like me doing this. You know, yeah, but it, 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 uh, it, uh, if uh, the, the, the songwriters, you know, the record companies, <clears throat> nobody's nobody's making any money from the recreation other than the record company, which has already got loads of money to start with. Whereas this yeah. is giving a guy six hours, ten hours work, and uh, it's creating something, which is, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm right behind it. Actually, I think it's great as, a, as an exercise in creativity and. Um, you know, as a kind of a technical exercise, I think it's fascinating as well. Well, I, 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 let me just go and get Mark, because he's shown up again, so I'm just going to go and grab him, because I'm sure he'll have something to add to this. Brilliant. I like it. Some of them absolutely actually sounded better than the originals, which was kind of weird. I guess, yeah, maybe a, there was a poor vinyl copy or something, and they just spruced it up a bit. Yeah, well, just some of the, the mixes and the, the stereo width and what was going on in the mix just sounded clearer on some of them. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Very impressive. But Very I, impressive. I don't know whether anybody's had to, because I, I used to do a lot of remixing, and sometimes, you know, we might, I, we might use um, a break or part of, a, of, of a, uh, a, a loop that was kind of, that was a sample. And on uh, a couple of occasions, they said, no, we can't use that. We couldn't clear it, etc. So, you know, can you go back and come up with something else? And we've had to sort of try and recreate, you know, the vibe of that. And sometimes it's actually quite difficult. It's not as easy as it seems. I know, Dave Spears, have you ever had to do anything like this? I mean, what do you think about the whole idea of this sample recreation service? I've got to say, I was really impressed, uh, particularly with man, the... From- can I say, just for a man who's recreating synthesizers, you ought to be, mate. <laughs> I was particularly impressed with that Roberta Flack 
Yeah, uh, that was really good, wasn't it? Very, very vintage. Um, yeah, no, and I listened to the Sheik one and all sorts of them. And uh, yeah, no, impressed, very impressed. And I've had to do it loads and loads of times, and I hate it as a job. Um, how do you how do you do it? Do you have to sort of just really tune your ears in? Because I mean, also, Rich, I mean, you must get this a lot as well when you're when you're working with something and you have a reference that maybe that you've uh, of work you've previously done. You don't necessarily can't refer back to the notes and the mix notes and stuff. You want to kind of try and get the vibe of a drum sound or a bass sound or something. I mean, do you hold that all in your head or do you have to analyze it or how does that work? I mean, I was once asked to create some classic Motown recordings uh, as absolutely close as I could get them and. How I did it was to put the sample track up on my in my Pro Tools session, you know, the original track, and constantly reference it as I worked. And in that particular case, there were certain very specific things I did to audio and stuff to try to make it sound more like what things sounded like back then. Sure. Um, so you just kind of you know listen and do what they do as much of what they did as you can figure out. But a lot of the time, you have to kind of approximate because presumably getting hold of and the recording techniques are just not, you know, in the spaces they're recording, you have to approximate. You can't, you know, go and, and stick a mic up around a drum kit in that room, etc. So you have to kind of busk it or at least approximate it. Yeah, on their showreel, on their example page, for the second example, they did Waiting for a Star to Fall, and they got the original guy, George, somebody who sang with Boy Meets Girl, they got him to actually sing on the recreation. Which, wow. uh, so, you know, they rebuilt all the backing tracks and then they, they, they got the original artist in. Which I suppose, if you're, um, if you're as successful as, as these guys are, and they've got, they've got props from, from Eric Prids and various other people who've used them, then, um, then that's something you can do. But, but on the other side, if you listen to the Steve Winwood, uh, the Valerie sample, which Eric Prids used on the uh, Call On Me record, um, you, would, you, wouldn't, you would never know it wasn't the original version. Right. You, know, you, you think it was a sample, but... Um, Which is kind of the idea. Mark Tinley the there. Sorry, I'd just yeah, like to say, hello, Mark Tinley, um, funnymachine.com. Hello. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> you can jump in now. <laughs> I mean, it's th- that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, they do sound exactly the same, mm. these. And, I mean, I've done this kind of work myself, and I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by it. And... For me, recreating things like guitars and guitar amps and guitar sounds and getting the drum sound and all that sort of stuff, um, I think that's easier than trying to recreate synth sounds. Trying to, and especially when you've got layers of synths happening to sure. like hear what's going on in all of those layers and to try and create a sound that sounds the same as that, I think it is in some ways more difficult than guitars. I know, I think you're right, and I think that's in some ways where the sample examples kind of let them down. There was a couple of uh, Star, there was a Jefferson Starship, um, and a couple of other ones where the, it wasn't quite on the money, you know. But that's because I think you know it's it's not a, a trumpet in a room. It's a it's probably a completely different synthesizer, patched, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that is the PJ. Sorry, you've been. Well, I haven't let you jump in here. Did, what did you make of this? Did you think it was a? Is it a good thing? Is it something? Well, you you have to do this kind of thing quite regularly, right? The sort of sounds yeah. like, yep, um, yeah, not not so much these days, but definitely a lot in the past. And um, yeah, these guys do a, a fantastic job. Um, I guess it's the wave of the future. I mean, it's hard to debate whether or not it's a good or bad thing. It's here and it's here to stay. And I guess uh, on the front end, people are going to constantly try to figure out how to save money uh, on production cost and, and what it, you know, what are the, the outlying costs and putting together a 
an initial recording and if there's any way that they can get around licensing fees they're going to do it and these guys have you know have created a service that apparently is exceptional uh to be able to do that kind of thing as far as uh you know recreating my my uh my approach to it is very similar to rich if somebody says i need something that sounds like this i put that reference recording up in my daw and i try to get as close as i can to it by and it's sort of like i liken it to photoshopping something or or making a three-dimensional model of something you're trying to kind of veneer the audio that you have with the tools that you have at your disposal because obviously you, you can't afford to fly to detroit well, I'm sure. And I guess it's also it's a lot of it's about kind of capturing the vibe, isn't it? Because um, the reason a lot of these people want to use is because of the atmosphere or the whatever it it has. The certain something apart from the fact that maybe you know it's a Michael Jackson track or whatever, and they can't clear it and they wouldn't bother. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because in some cases I've been asked by a client to, you know, they'll give me a piece of audio and they'll say we really really like the feel of this and we want something that's really close to this and can you do that and I'll. I'll say yes. And as an exercise, if I have a good relationship with that client as an exercise in creativity, I'll veer as far away from that piece of audio as I possibly can in my, in my composition and see what the client says. And in some cases, I've gone pretty far afield as far as getting away from the original structure of the piece and its key center and all of that kind of thing, just to see how the, the, client will react and a lot of times they'll say can we use that it, it sounds so close to the original and it's nothing like the original right so it really it really is about vibe it really is about sort of ca- capturing some kind of you know seed or or groove or feel that's in the you know that's i'm in the recognizing original. what that is do you think that maybe the reason this is happening is because um record companies are asking too much i mean who takes the lead because usually um if you get a sync or whatever it's the fee is split 50-50 between the publisher and the record company. So there must be some kind of number. I mean, who goes first? Well, I want this much. Do you think maybe that you know, one or other of the parties is being perhaps overvaluing it? Or I don't know. How, what, that, that's why this has happened? They make a point on the website of, of saying that it's going to be cheaper than approaching the record company. And presumably, you don't have the rigmarole, and you don't have to have the, the waiting time. You've got the whole hassle. So... Um, you know, it's, it's, it, the question answers itself, really. You know, it's got to be more expensive going, going through the record company. If, if, they'll, if they'll actually allow you to, um, to use it, um, if they'll actually give permission to use recording in the first place, then if they recognize that it's going to be a hit. I mean, imagine if you'd have known how, much, uh, how, much the, how big a hit the Eric Prids was going to be, uh, they'd have charged a fortune. Whereas, presumably, these, uh, the, the, the record company was a little bit more canny and went to sample recreation services and um, did it for a fixed fee and, um, you know, saved, the, saved themselves a packet. But if the record label, I mean, no, Rich, maybe you know about this. If the, if, if the artist says, no, I don't want them using that recording, and then they go, well, we'll just recreate it. And you don't, you don't want them to, they don't want to use it for, for, for other reasons other than, you know, maybe the recording doesn't exist or whatever. Maybe they, is there, is there anything you can do about it? Or can you not? I don't know whether that's the case. Well, I, mostly the artist wants you to use the recording. They just want to get paid for it. Yeah. And, credited, and credited properly. So generally speaking, in my experience, the artist wants to say yes. Um, when there comes to be a dispute, the, art, the person whose work has been taken has to look at the cost of pursuing the person who has done the taking and the potential pot of gold at the end of all of that and decide whether how much it means to them at that point. 
Because mm. I guess, you know, people like um, uh, Vanilla Ice, etc., were probably thinking, geez, I wish Replay Heaven were around when I'd, you know, when I'd uh, done uh, Ice Ice Baby and, and that kind of thing, because they got, they lost, you know, they didn't lose everything, but they didn't get anything pretty much, did they? I mean, they were cleaned out. And the and there's the other example of, was it the Verve? I've forgotten the name of the track. Da, 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 da. Oh, they, the Rolling Stones track. They it's were, a sweet yeah. symphony. They were cleaned yeah. out as well. Mm-hmm. If you only you could have found a, a, a Susan Vega sounder like Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. There, there was one thing I wanted to say about the making of these things, and that is that my experience is if you get the parts right and the sounds close, you're about 75% of the way there. Like the sure. parts. Getting the parts right makes a huge difference. That's tricky, I think. I would be interested to know how much they actually charge. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I imagine. I would imagine that they probably kind of work it on a case by case basis because if it re- if it warrants an enormous amount of work with live players and whatever, they've probably got deals whereby they go, well, we'll absorb some of the cost for a sort of return on it because we think it's going to be a hit. So I wonder if they kind of do that. I mean, I'm speculating here, but it would seem to make sense for them if they wanted to do that because I mean, it's all about deals, really. I mean, that's what they're advocating in a lot of ways, anyway, really, by by offering this service. Yeah, because none of you know, not none of this sounded cheap. Mm, no, it sounded no, very high true. quality. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was really impressed with the with the guy that sang um, "Man of Constant Sorrow." He oh. got he got he got that down. Hold I on mean, a minute. It's... You mean this one? <laughs> I quite enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, when you have when you have to fly Jeb in from the Appalachians in order to you know to to make that happen, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be pretty spendy. I would you know, think so. It sounds like they reach to the top shelf and grab the tool that's right for the job. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, I, there's a nice drum fill at the end of that one. So, um, Replay Heaven, um, I think it's just, it looks like, it's an interesting growth area. And obviously they've got kind of quite a big reputation. You look at their client list, it's enormous. There's tons and tons and tons of them. I wonder who amongst us here would actually take take work? Would, would you kind of be prepared to do that kind of work? I imagine, Rich, you might not. Or would you, depending on the case, by depending on what the case was? Or is it something you would find interesting? Or you have done it in the past. I mean, is it something that you look for? Or would you prefer to do other kinds of work? Well, if I needed something like this, I'd do it myself. But uh, other than that, uh, I could imagine people needing this and wanting to do it. And it, it makes sense on a business level. I have actually done it for my some of our own music for this very purpose. Right. You know, uh, uh, on Niall's behalf, although we haven't uh, necessarily used any of it. But, uh, right. I've been asked to do this, and I've and as I said, I've done the Motown stuff. It's fu- it's fun on an art- purely artistic level. If you just put aside all of the other discussion, trying to do it on an artistic level is big fun to me. Talking about an artistic level, looking at this website, I looked at the Eric Prids um, re- recreation, and it made me go to the um, the artwork, and I found out that Frankie Wedge is the model who does the aerobics video, right. and she. 
in, for Eric Briggs Call on Me, and she's also the same woman who dances naked at the beginning of the latest Bond film. Well, I never. I just thought I'd pass that on. That's stunning. Frankie Sounds Wedge, good. check her out. I, well, I've seen the latest Bond film, and uh, there's always uh, a good smattering of naked dancing people um, in silhouette, and, um, yeah, she looked quite nice, from what I can remember. Uh, I think I was focusing on um, on the sound of the uh, the Jack White production, though, at that point. Yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, all this sample recreation business kind of brings us quite neatly into our next topic which is this whole idea i had this idea over christmas after it was it basically it came out of a, a drunken conversation with uh, andy jones and oz and a few people at uh, at the pub um which was a sort of you know christmas pre uh, pre-christmas drink with um, various journalists in in the town of bath and we're discussing the idea of multi-track as as a sales format so as an alternative, you know, you've got the single, the MP3, the this, that, and the other, you know, you've got the... Uh, and whether or not this might actually fly. And I, I, as the more I looked into it, the more I saw that uh, some people had. I know that... I noticed that, uh, in fact, Radiohead had sold... They, they didn't do quite the multi-tracks, but they were doing stems from the track Nude, which was out earlier last year. I'll just play you a bit of the guitar. Which was, you know, so th- they're all basically stereo stems and you can buy them all at 79 pence each. And I was looking at all the comments for this because I'm convinced that it would actually make quite a good product for, you know, l- people who are inter- interested in music and interested in finding out stuff. And I noticed that the comments on the uh, on the actual, um, you know, the, the iTunes store part was, well, they were split. Half of the people were going, this is a ripoff. Why would I want to pay 79 pence for not even a whole track? Which is one side of the argument. You could say, yeah, I suppose that's fair enough. That is a, a point of view. And then... The other half seemed to be musicians who were going, hey, this is great. Now I can sort of see what's going on a bit more behind the scenes. I can mess around with it. It gives me a real insight into what was going on, which was sort of the angle I was coming at it from. Does anyone think this is a goer? Dave Spears, what do you think? Multi-track downloads? Would you pay, say, I don't know, uh, X pounds for uh, multi-tracks of stuff by your favourite artist that you just wanted to dig around in? I mean, do you think it would go? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay, thank you. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it would make it very easy to recreate things, wouldn't it? I mean, if you had all the multi-tracks of some of those... Uh, Made synths. Some of those songs, yeah, recreating synths and everything. I mean, if they're selling multi-tracks of things, does that mean that they're giving people uh, the, the right to use the individual tracks in their own compositions, like sample CDs do? No. No, not at all. That would be something completely different. I mean, you know, you, you're obviously free to make your own kind of stuff uh, out of it, and then if it flies, then you obviously have to pay the relevant people for those rights. I mean, that's the way I would assume for it. But the people who maybe weren't just using them for their own to make new records out of, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, are there any issues with this? Rich, you probably got a slant on this. Do you think there are issues with it with it happening? I'm not, obviously, it's not for every artist, but certain artists, you know, that, would there be a problem? Can you see there being a night, it being a nightmare? I mean, as far as I can tell, you put the stuff out there, I mean, and if people make hits out of it, great, because you'll get paid again. Well, I think it's got great pedagogical value, at least, so that you can look at the way things were done. Um, but when you combine this concept with what was promised about a year ago by Salomone with this Melodyne uh, being able to analyze polyphonic events... At chordal events break them up and allow you to change the notes at that point you can actually make something new out of it yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. And um, and as long as the artist who's given the multi tracks out is giving permission for that to take place and understands the possibility and the likelihood of that taking place, then I'm all about it. I think it's great, and I think, as I said, on a teaching level, it's fantastic because you can go. Uh, you know, I've heard a few of these multi tracks that are floating around out there, and it's incredibly interesting to hear the components that went together to make that vibe that we talked about earlier, and uh, it's great. To, to that end so, so if people give permission then sure what do you think dave robinson do you think there's a kind of um th- there's a there's a product there or am i just kind of um living in cloud cuckoo land it's an interesting toy for for 10 minutes <laughs> and then you get back and then you get back to actually listening to the full track i mean the reason i say that uh, i know that both thomas dolby and peter gabriel did um four track versions of uh, of songs uh, gabriel did it with his us album didn't he with digging in the dirt and or a couple of tracks you go to his website and obviously he's a pioneer and um uh, and he was on the cutting edge of this stuff but you could you could do a remix of one of his tracks using the four tracks and you can mix them online this is 10 years ago at least yeah yeah maybe yeah so there was that and then and dolby did something as well when he was setting up his headspace business which then obviously went on to be the the um the software that's in 60 percent of mobile phones all over all over the world thank you very much thomas um but um you know, you play with it and you think, okay, that's great, but actually I'd rather listen to the, to, the, the, to the track itself. Now, you have got a version of this, and it's called U-Mix. Did you not see that, Nick? Did you not pick this up? No, I, I didn't, didn't show up. Okay, U-MYX. And if you go to U-MYX.com, this is exactly what they do. They give you multi-track versions. And it's, it's the, the U-Mix is the format, and it comes, as far as I understand it, and because I've only seen a couple of these, um, I've seen them on CD singles. I think Muse did it, and maybe Feeder did it a few years ago. Right. First came out about three or four years ago. And they give you, you know, a multi-track. And I'm looking at a printout here of um, a Depeche Mode. I mean, if you put in multi-track, a format or something like that into Google, it comes up with the Umix Depeche Mode track Marta, and it gives you. I'm looking at what at least uh, eight tracks, and that you can use in the Umix software and remix, remix the song. And then on the, on the side of the page, several people have posted their versions, and you listen to a couple of them, and you think, yeah, okay, great. But I'd much rather listen to a original track or B a professional remix where they've taken the elements and done something and put it in a studio and got it, you know, remixed pro- professionally. So, um, you know, I think it's a great toy if you want to, if you, and as, as Rich said, you know, as an educational tool, fantastic, but, you know, it's, it's going to have, I think it's going to have a limited life and ultimately people want to go back to, to hearing things in, in, the, in the proper form. But, you know, it's got some, everybody likes fiddling about. Well, just, true. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, there's, there's kind of other markets. There's DJs who maybe want to do custom breakdowns where, for certain dance acts or what dance music. Uh, there might be, uh, you might be able to get a pack for Garage Band, which is, you know, mix minus vocals or whatever of your favorite yeah. uh, Wizard Christmas hits or whatever. You know, I mean, there, there's, there's different levels at which you could approach the multi-track concept. But, um, and, and as it's a byproduct of what you're already making, it's not like there's actually any greater requirement for, more parts or you know it's not co- it shouldn't cost a great deal more to produce the bits i just wondered um if it was a go i don't know pj what do you think yeah i think it is um i'm with rich and dave i think that uh it, like rich said as an educational tool and to sort of review the history of production and how people came about came to the conclusions they did and the the choices they did it's it's a great tool but also for like you say more serious remixers and djs i think will be all over anything that's available in in multi-track format and as far as the umix format goes i i believe that that's aimed more at 
kind of a newbie crowd and a fiddle, you know, a, a, just the average fan that might want to fiddle around with the audio. And it's fairly limited as to Is what you're able to rebalance. You can't rearrange it. Yeah, you know, I haven't really messed around with it, but okay. I remember when it came out and I read, um, you know, I read the the hyperbole on what it was and it seemed like it wasn't, it's pretty limited as far as what you can do, pan some things. There might, I don't even know if there's any built-in effects in the software, well, I, but I, it's, it. Peter, maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm looking maybe. at the, uh, the, uh, the website, the, uh, the Depeche Mode clip again here, and there is, right. there is an arrange window and it looks to me as though you can move things around. Oh, right. Okay, well, yeah, still- you can definitely move things around. I'm, I'm, yeah, I know that, but it's not, it's not going to take you as far, n- nearly as far, obviously, as, as if you could, you know, import stems or individual yeah, tracks. Yeah, I don't think you can do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You so, I mean, I think it's made to be user friendly and and allow a fan to be able to to create their own thing. And some bands were, or they were touting the fact that some bands would create sites that were dedicated to their umix remixes and that type of right. thing. Right. It I just didn't it's, quite it's more go. Just getting fans involved on a different level with the music. Mark, you were trying to come in there. What was? I was just going to say, you guys are doing this on purpose, aren't you? What? <laughs> Rich has said a ped- pedagog. Which I think is a very good word of the day. And um and Well Mark, actually I, we should point out, Mark, you're gonna do another one of your Toastmaster evenings tonight, right? And you have yeah, to go yeah. with a word of the day and presumably talk about it. Is that the way it works? So yeah. you're you're actually currently looking for a word. I am yeah. looking for a word, yeah. Any of those Mark, are, are, you you return? Return? are you discombobulated? Discombobulated. <laughs> <laughs> I think pedagogical is that uh, I still can't pronounce probably. It's fantastic. I really like that one. Yeah, that'll Pedag- do. Pedagogical. 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 Okay. It's well okay. It, in in America. It's it's based on the word pedagogy. Yeah, as I understand. Pedagogical. Pedagog in the UK. I see. Uh, Pedagog. Uh, a teacher. Pedagogical. Well, I'm sure this semantic discussion could rage for hours. <laughs> I won't be able to use it if I don't know how to say it, will I? No, you'll have to work on that. If you just leave yourself enough time. But anyway, that was uh, that was briefly. As anyone, unless anyone's got anything to add, um, just the sort of ramblings of uh, a slightly hungover me talking about the idea of multi-tracks for songs. Um, again, you know, some people thought it was an absolutely rubbish idea, and some people thought it was a good idea. And I think I'm not saying it's a massive market, but if you charge kind of three three or four or five times more than you would for a single track, then you don't need to sell as many to make any money back. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. Just one, we'll see. One last point, Nick. Yes. In your in your rant, the last, in your, one of the last paragraphs, you say, as an aside, just how long will it be before there are two tracks in a chart sampling each other? Or maybe it's already happened. Well, of course, Mars, when they brought out Pump Up the Volume, that sampled a track that was already in the charts at the same time. Ah, okay. Which, so, what, much stuff, so much stuff from that era did, though, didn't it? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't do my research very well. Well, no, but one sampled the other, but you know they didn't sample each other because that would be sort of eat it, eating its own tail, I suppose. But yeah, well, that's I an mean, idea. Two versions of two versions of Hallelujah at the top of the charts is a kind of a weird situation, isn't it? Yeah, a kind of a uh, you know which version do you want? Uh, you know, download the multi-track. Do you want Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley, or Alexandra? That's great, isn't it? Actually, that's one thing we just quickly mentioned. The one good thing that came out of Christmas and X Factor is um, Leonard Cohen got a massive number one hit with uh, the cover of uh, Alleluia, which, uh, although I'm sure it, many people thought it was slaughtered by the uh, by the contestants, actually um, Leonard Cohen was touring last year because he was effectively bankrupt, wasn't he? Because he got he was one of those guys who just didn't kind of get 
paid properly. He was ripped off by his accountant, right? He was ripped off by, all right, well, I, I, I hesitated there because I didn't know the fact, but, but now presumably he's back in, back in credit, I hope. It's got to be worth a few quid to him, so that's a good <laughs> byproduct. Simon Cowell did a good deed for Christmas. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> you gotta love Leonard Cohen. Yeah. A I heard it was a mega geek. I love Simon Cowell. It was a what? I heard it was a mega geek. What, when he from- played? A friend of mine went and uh, he said he wasn't particularly into him. He went because his wife was a big fan. But he said within, you know, 30 seconds, he kind of grabbed you. And he was like your new best friend. Oh, cool. I yeah, saw too, it. it was, my flatmate went and he said it was phenomenal. said it was brilliant. Oh, great. Well, hopefully that combined with the ticket sales and he'll be um, back on track. Hooray. Be owning his own car again in no time. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so... Uh, we're 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 flying through time. Um, I don't know what we should do first. I suppose we should do a bit a quick bit about Nam. Maybe we can move on to your uh, your topic, Mark, if we have time, or maybe it will get bumped to next week if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, sure. But obviously, next week uh, Nam is coming. We're off. Um, many of us, I know, uh, certainly uh, Dave Spears, uh, Dave Robinson, myself. I don't know if PJ or Rich. I don't think PJ's going. Rich probably isn't. Mark's not going. But we're going to. Uh, the Winter Nam Show, which is starting next week on Wednesday, and obviously uh, Sonic State will be covering it in great depth and all of those usual things. And um, about this time, we generally have a discussion about what we're expecting to find um, happening at the show. Um, and to be honest, uh, I've been racking my brains a little bit to kind of discover any kind of great massive product launches, and it's probably not surprising considering the current financial situation. I think we were wondering whether or not perhaps what would be more likely is just how bad, badly uh, hit is your company is going to be most of the news and most of the gossip that's been going on. I don't know, Dave Robinson, you've probably had a, a slightly different news feed than I have. Have you got anything that... Um, well, there's some, you- there's some bits and pieces. I know Waves, our favourite plug-in company, and I say that without irony, uh, they're, they're going to be presenting something. Um, but yeah. I, I think we have to wait and see what that is. God forbid um, you get a lawsuit against you, eh? Don't say a word. <laughs> exactly. You have to be careful there. McDSP have got something called the Retropack, uh, uh, Retropack Plug-In Line, which has got uh, an EQ uh, compressor and a retro limiter. When they say retro, I'm not quite sure which models they're, uh, they've uh, tried to recreate. Uh-huh. Rich, I imagine you'll be interested in that. You're a big fan of McDSP, aren't you? Yes, very much so. Gold. Some new audio box drivers for the for PreSonus, which well, just drivers are not that interesting. But um, certainly, on a on a slightly more professional level, this the guys well, the guy who used to lead the Sadi company, which uh, went into receivership, went into administration, and then uh, was uh, defunct last year. This guy called Joe Ball, and he's come back with a company called Joco, and they they've launched a One U, um, uh, where is it, twenty four channel recorder. And it's called the Black Box Recorder. It's, uh, it says it's a high-performance multi-track capturing device designed for the 21st century. Uh, it can plug directly into the insert points on any console. Uh, can provide virtual sound checking facilities. Recording to standard external USB 2 disc format with FAT32, broadcast WAV file format, um, and any, any material can be instantly used in a, stu- in a studio, digital ah. video workstation, without any need for time-consuming file conversions or transfers. That looks quite interesting, because, I mean, that's the one thing the Digi, all the DigiDesign stuff has got going for it. I guess if you plug one of these in, you can either record the show or play the show from last night to get the sound check. So you're sort of half, it's like exactly. a poor man's version of the, uh, the DigiDesign venue and all of that kind of stuff. Hmm. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, well, poor man, oh, not a nice word. It's a, uh, it's a budget version. Is what budget, oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. And not using the word cheap anyway. at all. 
to anybody. <laughs> um, but it looks very sexy, and uh, it's a it's a welcome return for uh, for, for Joe Ball. So uh, <laughs> that's something that uh, Proton News will be looking uh, looking out for. Um, at the I'll race you for but, it, as you say. Other, other than the, <laughs> other than obviously what we've been told, Melodyne. This last year they showed it. This year we're going to see a working version. And certainly, I know one of my one of my friends who's uh, you know works in the industry who's very sceptical, has been very sceptical, and and doesn't really see how it can work. So I think this year. We're going to be seeking some truths about what you can actually do with it. Yes, well, there's a press conference at Thursday at 4pm where they're showing another kind of pre-release. Apparently, it's not in real-world availability yet. You can't sort of sit down and play with it, um, so there's still a little way off. I know, Dave Spears, have you heard anything? or have you? uh, I'm sure you can't tell us about any of it, but uh, can you allude? What? To anything, for now. (laughs) uh, uh, No. Um, Oh, blimey. Yes, we'll have something there. Ah, woohoo! Looking forward to that then. I haven't, well, made, an appo- I so. I haven't, I haven't made an appointment with you yet. We better do that. Ah, okay. Curses. <laughs> <laughs> In which case, we better get on. Um, no, uh, Dave, have you heard anything about Mackie? Uh, Rumours that their Chinese manufacturer had gone belly up or something and that was yeah they've, they've issued a effect. Mackie have issued a statement and you can find this this is all uh, public domain actually they, they issued a statement at the back end of last year to say that uh, yeah one of their distributors uh, sorry one of their manufacturers in uh, China I believe it is uh, has gone bust and they are saying there's going to be a delay of something like um, four months on certain product lines Jesus um, they have issued a statement about it so we can talk about it legitimately I don't know any more than that because frankly we, we, with the with the Christmas um, recess you know we've not had a chance but I'm waiting to the till the NAM show to find out a little bit more about what's going on because uh, there's, there's a lot uh, there's been a lot going on in, in their camp um, I think I think that the UMX 96 their, their large scale console which was due to take on the venues and the uh, the, the Midas uh, and then the various people, uh, the various large-scale consoles, that seems to have been um, put uh, put on ice. And there are a few things that we just need to clarify with them. And uh, you know, looking to looking to seek some answers next week. Seek some but, clarification. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's something to watch. Anybody else heard anything? I think there's something from Steinberg, isn't there? PJ, you're a Steinberg user. Have I heard correctly that maybe Steinberg might be showing something, or am I plucking at straws? I don't know the answer to that. I am a Steinberg user, but I haven't been uh, I haven't been following whether or not they are. The thing that I'm uh, yeah, they are. That I, oh, uh, well, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> they are, but I can't tell you. I can't tell you what it is. Um, but it's on the first day of the press conference. Ah, ah fantastic. Hopefully, Cubase five, and maybe they'll make it into a real DAW. Maybe this is the year it it <laughs> ceases to be a wooden puppet. <laughs> <laughs> oh! We'd just like to point out PJ is a Cubase user. So, I am a Cubase you know. user, a loyal Cubase user because <laughs> it's, too much, it's too much trouble <laughs> That's to handy. move to another DAW. <laughs> so there's my dig on Steinberg. But um, no, but I, I'm I'm actually looking forward to see what F expansion has coming this uh, this January because there is more than a more than a rumor that they're actually releasing a couple of synthesizers mm. and I don't know if anybody's tried um, the free Orca synth that is available to registered BFD users on their site I haven't uh, but it's actually uh, it's a it's a synth it doesn't have very many controls it's got a very limited uh, envelope generator and a filter but it's a fairly 
fairly good. I mean, better than fairly good. It's a very good recreation of the uh, Juno 106. Oh, wow. okay. Uh, well, we're going to go and be- see them. So They've beaten G-Force to it, have they? No. <laughs> no, because, it, it, I mean, it's li- it's limited. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, you got your, you got your Jupiter 4 plug-in coming out next, uh, next week, I hope. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, G- G-Force don't do Roland. <laughs> I think. I'm saying nothing. A lot. Well, anyway, um, NAMS next week, we're all kind of geared up. I, in fact, my whole office is full of little bits and bobs and gadgets and gizmos and things and replacements and deliveries and stuff. In fact, my that ready for the show, so I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. And uh, we shall, hopefully, all of us who are going, perhaps we can arrange to have um, a get-together involving outside margaritas and some cheap fast food. Now yeah. we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, listen, I have to go shortly, but I'm, I'm going to be very um, audacious here and say, can I just tell you a little about the, uh, my, my short iStylophone story? Yes, because you, uh, you wanted to come in on the stylophone talk. Uh, yeah, um, but, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't come in on your chat before Christmas about the iStylophone, which is a shame because it'd been, and I, I heard what you, what you guys are saying. It's fantastic. And, um, but uh, what, what you guys don't know is that I, um, I was given... Uh, an interview with Ben Jarvis by the very cool software company. Ben Jarvis is the son of Brian Jarvis, who actually invented the stylophone in 1967. Aha. So, um, and I, he's, he lives in Reading. He lives around the corner from you, Dave, actually. Uh, well, um, everybody <laughs> lives there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but a fantastic guy. He was telling me how, you know, he was a... Um, he was a, a manufacturing and production student, and uh, he uh, he sat in front of the television um, in 2002 with his with his father Brian Jarvis, and uh, Jonathan Ross came on, and David Bowie came on uh, with a stylophone, and um, uh, playing some tracks from the Heathen album, and uh, he, they talked. They ended up talking about the stylophone, and then Jonathan Ross presented David Bowie with a a, um, um, a holster. Uh, a stylophone holster, and Brian told me. Uh, sorry, Ben told me that he and his dad were sat there watching the television, saying, "You can't buy this kind of publicity." And they decided there and then to bring the stylophone back. Now, I think Mark was it you that mentioned you've you've got one or you gave one to somebody? No, I I've, don't have I've one. Got I've, one. I've got one. Oh, right, Dave, you've got Dave, one, yeah. Dave. Yeah, yeah, you've got one of the recreation ones, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I bought it for my brother-in-law. No, I mean, the company's called Recreation. RE, they're, they're the same people who make the game Cranium and various other things. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he, um, they, they eventually, after several years of trying to get funding, uh, and he said, you know, he, he, was, uh, he said that getting funding is not like standing in, a, in front of a, a five people going, no, I'm out, you know, to try and get money for your, uh, for your company. But um, finally, after, after five years, they managed to get in touch with Recreation and they, they brought this thing back. And then somebody suggested that it would look good on the on the iPhone, and they got in touch with with a very cool software company, and they they brought it um, brought it to the iPhone. But he was telling me how that in 1967 his his father Brian had um, been fiddling about with a with a toy piano, and in fact he was uh, he was effectively circuit bending. He was circuit cool. bending a, to- a toy piano back in 1967. And to quote, to quote uh, Ben, he said, uh, trying to repair it, he found that it couldn't be fixed and also that it was diabolically designed. So um, with, the, with his grounding in electronics and engineering, he started messing around with it 
and he, he realized that a keyboard as a printed circuit board, if you could make a connection, you could create a noise. And so he got his pen with a piece of wire, and, and lo, the, um, the stylophone was born. And the, the company, Debrec, which came from the words dub and recording, because it was a recording studio, so it was, you know, they, they added the umlaut and the cue to make it look German, because <laughs> to have a German name in the 1960s. So they had, so the Debrec company, which was based in Cricklewood, um, oh, yeah. went, from ma- went from making um, this kind of portable um, precursor to the PowerPoint uh, for, uh, for uh, reps, for, um, you know, reps who drove around the company giving um, demoing products. They went from that to making the stylophone, and uh, they, they went from, you know, three or four people in a factory to 150 people in an old shirt factory on Cricklewood Broadway making the stylophone. Wow. And he read- and he reckons that at one point, they were making them under license. So I think, Peter, you were talking about whether they're available in America. They, they were made under license in various territories. And uh, he reckons there's no paperwork, but between 1968 and 1975, they sold between three and, and three and a half million units. Wow. The stylophone. That's almost as big as the DX7. That's, a br- <laughs> that's such a brilliant story. It's brilliant. But he was, uh, I mean, he was just a fan of this guy. It was, just, um, uh, it was just fantastic to talk to him. And, he, and his father still lives in North London somewhere. He's still into, he, you know, he's got a big sort of, um, uh, big double manual organ. And he still plays, you know, still into his music and all that kind of stuff. But um, he was just saying that uh, Debrecht ended up making all things Rolf Harris. So one of uh, Ben Jarvis's earliest memories is, is being surrounded by wobble boards. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that so is a go. thought. But the last, um, the, the last part of the story, and the, the other bit I have to tell you, is that they had a 50 years anniversary of Rolf Harris at the Royal Albert Hall, and the BBC approached Ben and his father to make a special version of the stylophone. So somewhere out there, I don't know if Rolf Harris has actually got this, but they made a Flying V stylophone. Oh, cool. For, cool. for Rolf Harris to play at the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, this was in 2003. And he said, uh, you know, it had a rosewood neck and it had up-down octave touch pads on the, uh, on the neck. And uh, he said, you'd be amazed at how good a stylophone sounds through the PA system of the Royal Albert Hall. I'll bet it does. That is something I'd like to hear. So anyway, I just, uh, I just thought I'd need to, to pass that on. Nobody else um, has that information at the moment. So that's a bit of an exclusive for Sonic State. Oh, thank you very much, Dave. That's very generous of you. In fact, what I might do, Nick, is I, because uh, I tried to... Well, the article's written and uh, The Guardian turned me down for some reason because they ran out of time. But I'm, I might get it to you and post it up on your website or something because it's, it's a little bit... You know, it's not really a pro-sound news story and uh, I might give it to you. You can post it on people can read the rest of it. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to All it. All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'd love to. Dave Robinson, uh, ProSound News Europe, ProSoundNewsEurope.com. Go there and check out the digital downloads of his great magazine. And thank you very much and for I'll, joining uh, us. Well, I'll see you at NAM and then we'll talk about NAM in a couple of weeks. Yeah. See you later. Okay. So I was um, looking in the iTunes Music Store this week and I discovered a piece of software called iPiper, which is uh, bagpipes for the iPhone. <laughs> Essential. <laughs> Are you going to play something? I, I haven't got it on my iPhone. It was 59p, and I couldn't bring myself to part with the money. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, oh, well, well, it is Scottish, isn't it? <laughs> I suppose that's fair yeah, enough. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> How apt. Have you got it, Rich? I... Oh, he's got it. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, well, there it goes.
The New Year piped in by Mr. Richard Hilton. <laughs> That's bloody brilliant. There you I, go. I would say that's probably 99 cents well spent. Um, I thought so. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Does that mean you've got an iPhone, or did you, have you got a speaker for your, uh, for it's your iPod? It's my iPod Touch. The iPod Touch, the new iPod Touches have speakers in them. Oh, really? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, you know what else I got? I got Noise Trio from that Noise.io bunch of people. This thing is free, their free version. Okay, it so just, synthesizers. It, yeah, it puts a grid up, and you can... And then you could put a beat up. Hey. <laughs> I didn't know. And they got that. like they've got three different ones. This one's free. But uh, I'm really interested in checking out their synth, and I was hoping that we would uh, take well, a look at it. Well, we can talk about like it now. I, I'm, I'm unbelievably jealous that you now have an iPod Touch with a speaker in it. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do now is um, we're going to kind of ask what people got for Christmas while we, while we say goodbye to everybody. So uh, let's say, um, firstly, goodbye to Mark Tinley, uh, who uh, can be found at funnymachine.com, who's off to do his speaking tonight. What did you get for Christmas that was of note? Have you got anything sp- special you'd like to share with us on the Christmas present front? Um, just more iPhone things, actually, believe it or not. I've got one of those nice little things that you put it on your arm so that you can run with it without getting it wet in your shorts. Oh, uh, doesn't knock against your um, a, stuff. One, one of those things for plugging it in so that it comes out of the radio in your car. Um, I got some nice stationary things and writing things and what else did I get? Lots of nice stuff. Oh, good for you. Glad to hear it. And um, Rich Hilton from Connecticut, uh, uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. How was your Christmas? What were, did you get all that you desired and more? Yes, exactly. I got all those things I mentioned in the last questioning. And then in addition, the aforementioned iPod Touch now resides in something called an Apple Sack, S-A-C. <laughs> yeah. since, the, <laughs> since the moment I got it, I wanted something, a sleeve, a really soft microfibery sleeve <laughs> to just slip it into. I didn't want something big and bulky. I didn't want plastic. I didn't want leather. I didn't want a clip on it. I didn't want any of that. I just wanted something kind of like the old socks that they used to sell. And so I found this thing called Apple Sack. And I bought it actually in basic burlap because I thought the older looking it was, the cooler it would be. But they have a number of different uh, exterior finishes, and it's really soft on the inside, and I'm very pleased with it. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, thank you very much, Rich, for joining us this week as well and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Okay, who's next? Let's say uh, PJ Tracy um, from pjtracymusic.com. Emmy a winning PJ Tracy, of course. How did your Christmas go? What did you get that uh, that you're most excited about? Christmas was great. Um, I got a copy of the book, the new book, relatively new, by Oliver Sacks called Musicophilia, which I highly recommend. If um, Dr. Sacks wrote a book about all things music and the brain, so let me just read something for you off the back here. Let's see. There's a uh, Among the stories are a surgeon who is struck by lightning and suddenly becomes obsessed with Chopin, people with amnesia, uh, to whom a symphony sounds like the clattering of pots and pans, and a man whose memory spans only seven seconds for everything but music. So, Uh, Some interesting case studies. Yeah, clinical studies. Is that that chap that can still conduct but can't remember anything else? Uh, I don't know, Mark, because I haven't gotten that far into the book. 
I'm going to have to buy that book. It sounds interesting. Mm, yeah. yeah, it certainly does. Well, PJ, um, may the new year bring you um, untold wealth and happiness, and um, we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Have a great time at NAM. Thank you. And Dave Spears, G4Software.com, how was your Christmas? What did you get, apart from a bunch of germs? I got... Amazingly, actually, my missus bought me a Sony um, hard disk recorder stroke DVD burner. Good wow. Good lord. Yeah, amazing, eh? And she's completely untechy. And, uh, yeah, no, I was blown away with that. And has she asked you to fill it up with episodes of Coronation Street? Uh, no, I haven't got that far yet. Uh, but the worst thing was my Xbox broke, so I had to go out and buy myself another one. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that was my present to me. Well, uh, let me think. I, I didn't get very much this year, but I did get a really interesting book about a bloke who's 110 years old who lives in the local area and was one of the last... Uh, fighting uh, Tommies in the trenches of the world, of the First World War. In fact, he's the last surviving fighting soldier out of five and a half million people. I mean, I'm not into kind of war and stuff, but it's a fascinating book. And it only dwells very shortly about that part of it. The rest of it is kind of all local history of, you know, before cars, before aeroplanes, before all this. It's just amazing. Really, really interesting. And all just up the road from where I live. So that's my most, most bestest present. Cool. Uh, so uh, on that literary note... Um, well, let's say goodbye to everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this week um, is... We're going to have a break next week because I'm actually going to be flying in an aeroplane mostly next week rather than uh, doing a podcast, so I won't be able to do it. And hopefully we'll be able to do it when we return if we've all got enough energy. So skip next week, the week after. So that's going to be, what, the 21st of January, our next podcast. So thanks very much to everybody for listening. Thanks for those people hanging in the live chat room. We'll try and get the live streaming back on track. I'm not sure what's happened with Stickham, but uh, we'll keep an eye on it. So... Thank you and good night. I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all my day. I, if it 